Good morning. I'm going to open in some prayer. Prayer. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this time together. Uh, we don't want to ever take it for granted. We thank you that we can come together and worship you. We just thank you for everyone that's here today, Lord. And I just thank you for their being a part of this body. Lord, I just pray, even today, as we talk about the family, Lord, I just pray you'll give us the things you want us to learn that'll come directly from you, that we can apply in our midst. Lord, we thank you for this very family that's meeting here today. I just pray, Lord, you'll bless everyone here. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's good to see everyone this morning and great to be with you. Uh, I actually have a chair up here for a reason. I actually have a tendon in injury, and then on Tuesday, I'm going to be having an appointment with a physical therapist, and I, I met him once. He's a Cedarville University graduate, and we talked a while, and he said, John, I'm going to give you a lot of pain, but that's the only way you're going to get better. And so I'll be going Tuesday, and we'll see how that progresses, but some of the time I may have to sit down. Well, today we're talking about family. And you know, uh, if you're like me during Christmas, New Year's, I'll tell you what, I really appreciated being with family. It meant a lot, you know, because we have some of our families from Omaha, Nebraska, and don't get to see them very much. So it was really good to be, to, to be together. And you know, I think this is a great way to start off the new year, to talk about family. And I also think that, you know, as you, as you develop as a believer, as you mature in your faith, I think you recognize how important family is. So the title of my message is Family Matters. And so, you know, the other thing you could think about, family really is a, a foundation to our faith. You see it all throughout the Bible, illustrations of family. So if, if it's in the Bible, we know it's important to God. So it really is important. You know, you could think it's basic, but it's really important. And I'm so grateful that Justin wanted us to start the year by talking about family. You know, when I talk about family today, I want you to think beyond the biological family. I want you to think about the extended family of God. You know, the exciting thing is, when we come to know Christ, we're all a part of the bigger family of God. So as we talk about family today, yes, you can think about the biological unit, and that's really important, but also think about the extended family of God because we are a family here today. You know, if you think about um, family, and, and as I was studying 2 John, I've been studying 3 John, and knowing I was going to be uh, talking about family, I recognized that Gaius, that we're going to learn about today, he's quite the family man in 3 John. So I've selected 3 John, and, and 3 John is a short book. It's only one chapter. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8 in 3 John. But I just think this is a great place to be because he really emulates what family is all about. In fact, there's a lot of terms in there about family that you're going to see. So our study is from 3 John, but we're really going to focus in on Gaius. And then also, you know, just to give you the context, you know, John authored 3 John. He also authored 1 and 2 John, as well as the Gospel of John and Revelation. Now, in this particular book, this short book of 3 John, John is very personal. He's writing to Gaius. 
and he is calling him beloved. In fact, if you were to look at my Bible, I underline a lot. I love to see what words are repeated because that gives me an idea of what's important. And so you're going to notice that uh, John dearly loved Gaius. And we're going to learn a lot about Gaius. And these are the things I think we can learn and apply here in family life. So again, our, fo- our study will focus on Gaius. Some other things I want to mention to you too is I think today the reason this is so important, the traditional family is at risk. And I'll give you a couple examples. You could think of many examples lately as things are changing in America, but I'll give you two. Uh, In December, uh, at the federal level, the Congress passed the Respect for Marriage Act. And uh, that actually went into law end of December. I think the president signed it at the end of December. Well, it's not really what it sounds like. It's, even though it says it's respect for marriage act, it's quite the contrary. It's really a disrespect for biblical marriage. And so one of the things that we're already seeing as we talk to people around the country is that this probably will set the stage for challenges to Christian institutions like our church, like a Christian school, a Christian university, because I work at Dayton Christian School. And, you know, thankfully, we have the freedom to hire who we want, and we hire based on, you know, do they believe in the inerrancy of Scripture? Are, are they a biblical Christian? And so, but in the future, that may, be, may come under attack. So, again, that's one reason. Another thing, uh, and Justin shared this back in December, one of his sermons, and this is even affecting us here locally. At the YMCA here in Xenia, I don't know if any of you are members, I am, but um, they're at the Y, they've adopted a practice whereby they are allowing men in the women's locker room. Well, this has been very disturbing to a lot of people, and uh, a lot of people have been affected by it, moms and children, and it's not good. So I went to a town hall meeting and to represent our elder team, and at that meeting, there were two people from the state, uh, state representatives, there was a state senator, uh, the mayor was there, uh, some city council members, about 45 people were there. And we heard from these parents, these fathers and mothers of what had happened. So it was really discouraging. But one thing we all felt at the end, including those people from the House of Representatives and the Senate, was that this is just a practice, this is not law. It came down from an executive order. So one of the things we all decided, we need to stick to truth and in love, and so we're gonna do everything we can to get that practice reversed. Thankfully, um, I have a good friend who's the legal counsel for the Ohio Christian Education Network, which represents churches and Christian schools, and he's already working with the Attorney General and others to see if we can't get the why to to change their practice. But I, I bring that up to say, this is why today's message is really timely. So I'm really grateful Justin chose this because you know, again, the family is at risk today. Before I get into the word, before we dig in and learn about Gaius, I'd like to just say it, share a few things that give us context that'll share what God says about the family and also what we at New Community Church say about the family. So my first point is that you know, God has defined the family. And he has actually orchestrated the family. He has originated the family. He has defined the family. 
So if you uh, go back to as early as chapter 1 of Genesis, you don't need to turn there. But if you were to look in verses 27 and 28, you're going to find out that we're made in the image of God, which to me is amazing when you just think and comprehend that, that we're made in his image. The second thing you're going to learn is that he made male and female, biological male, biological female, and marriage was to be between a biological male and a biological female. Then a little later in verse 28, you learn that we are to multiply. So this is the first instance in Scripture where he defined the family. And for me, you know, I can go back and I can realize this is true and that anything else I'm hearing in society is false. And the reason I know this, you know, the word is inspired, it is authoritative, it is infallible, it is literal, and it's reliable. And so John 17, 17 is one of my favorite verses. And in John 17, 7, I'll give you the half of the verse that I love. It says, your word is truth. In fact, I'll tell you a little story. Uh, when Linda and I uh, were taking a course, it was uh, a course on 1 Corinthians. It was a week-long course. And uh, the faculty member that was teaching it was Dr. Charles Ryrie. Now, if you've not heard of Dr. Charles Ryrie, uh, he actually wrote the uh, notes for my Bible, which is called the Ryrie Study Bible. And so I was so excited after the course was done, and it was an amazing course on 1 Corinthians, but I was so excited, I went up to him afterwards, and I said, can you, Dr. Ryrie, can you give me my autograph? And he graciously did. And, but he put in there John 17, 17, and that has always stuck with me that, you know, our word is truth. It is reliable. And so again, you know, God has defined the family, and I'm so grateful for that. The second point I want to make is that believers have a common bond and are a larger part of a spiritual family of God. Isn't that neat that we're a part of a larger unit a larger spiritual family of God because you know when you're traveling you meet others that you find they're Christians isn't that exciting it really is and you know like Linda and I, I remember a few years ago at our house church in fact uh, I'm a part of Linda and I are part of the Independence House Church in fact I was thinking about that our house church has been going since 2007 so we're we've been cruising for quite some time so I'm very thankful for for what has been accomplished through our house church but um, you know as I was thinking about this whole thing of, of us being a part of the body of believers a couple of years back I had a friend in fact he was the first person that mentored Linda and I Linda and I both came to know Christ on the same day which is exciting we've got that spiritual bond having come to know Christ the very same day but the very first person to mentor us was our youth pastor and so uh, I'm really grateful to him. But Linda and I had not seen Dr. Niner for about 20 years. Him and Lynn came out. I got him to come and speak in our house church. But you know what? It was so cool because as believers, it was like we hadn't lost any time. We just hit it off immediately and got, got caught up so fast. It was amazing. So being a part of the, of the uh, larger body is, you know, we just have that that great thought of being able to be united with other believers. And I'll share one other thought here. I mentioned to you, I work at Dayton Christian School. We have about 1,000 students. Uh, they come from about 31 
public school districts across the Miami Valley, but we also have international students. So right now, we're trying to pray in three students from Bosnia. We already have some students from China, but we're trying to help these students from Bosnia get here. And right, if you think of it, pray for them because they're having trouble with their visas. But here's the exciting thing. They sent me a video so I could see their chapel experience. Here's 45 of them worshiping Christ, and it was exciting. Then they sent me the picture of the three young ladies that are coming to our school. Now, I don't know anything about them yet. I don't know their background. I don't know their parents. I don't know where they live. But you know what? When they come, we're going to hit it off immediately because we're both believers. And so I'm so excited about that. You know, another thing is we are a family of house churches. You know, if you, when you were driving in today, if you weren't too busy and you looked at our sign, it says a family of house church. And I'm so grateful that that word family is on there because that's strategic. I think that says a lot about who we are. And I think that, um, you know, as far as being a family of house churches, the one thing I'm hoping is that we are always characterized by love. If you look at John 13, 34, and 35, you don't have to turn there, but uh, I think it's on the screen. It says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I has loved you. So just as Christ loved us, we need to love others. And so, you know, my hope and my desire for my house church, for uh, our, our body of believers here, our gathering, everything we do together, that we're characterized by love. And one other thing, one other thing I wanted to point out too was, as, as the word family, it really denotes special relationships that are long-term and lasting. So even as family members, we want to build those relationships so they're long-term and lasting. You know, another thing, as I was examining our website, and you ought to go there sometime, it's really good, and you need to look at the mission statement, you need to look at the vision statement, but under the vision statement, there's a list of strategies. In fact, there's five bullet points. And if you look at those strategies, one of those says to connect together as a family. And when we see that word connect, to me it's not to be haphazard, it's to be deliberate. And so I think that is really an important concept, an important strategy that we need to be deliberate to be connecting, to be fellowshipping, to be building relationships with one another. With one another. So in fact, I, I, I immediately thought of two different verses. Galatians 6.10 talks about how we should be doing good to the household of faith and to all people. So finding ways we can do acts of kindness are really important. The other thing it said, another verse that I thought of was 1 Corinthians 12, 26. And in that it says that if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So, you know, I think that that was a great reminder for me that, you know, that we need to be, when somebody's suffering, be alongside, be empathizing with them. You know, if, if, if they're sick, you're trying to find ways to take meals to them, to help them out, to pray for them. And then I think the other thing is, you know, also when uh, something great has happened, to be able to rejoice and celebrate and party with them. I think that is really important. The last item I wanted to set as the context before we get to the word is that, you know, the family <clears throat> takes on new meaning today because of what we've been through in the last two years. 
you know, I had the, I, because I drive to Dayton Christian School, it takes me about 35 minutes, I get to listen to sermons every morning. One of the sermons I was just listening to recently was Chuck, from Chuck Swindoll. And Chuck was saying, I'd never heard him say this, he said, you know, this has been the most difficult time, any time in my life. I think Chuck now probably is in his 80s, but good. But I think that, uh, you know, he just said, this is tough. It's been tough. There have been so many people with health issues, so many people with employment issues. Um, there have been education issues. You know, even in, in my own life as an educator, uh, you know, one of the things I quickly discerned was that kids coming to us from other schools had about a two-year gap. And so I said, I said to Dr. Megan Brown, uh, who helps us from Cedarville University, she's in the School of Education there, I said, is this really true what I'm seeing, that there's a two-year gap? Yes, it is, John. The statistics are showing it. The studies are showing it. So even our kids were hurt through education during this time. Another thing that I didn't think that much about at the time. I don't think we were affected, but because I have a pastor's advisory committee for the school I work with, pastors were telling me they were really having trouble getting people back in church because live streaming really became a convenient way not to be there. And so I don't think we've been affected by that, but there's been a lot of, lot of issues. And, you know, I was really glad Chuck said this and you know, the one thing for me about Chuck Swindoll, I'll never forget, when I was at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, that's a seminary in Chicago, I loved going to chapel, and we had all these great speakers, and every year Chuck would come in. Now, his daughter worked for me, so I got that way. I had a good reason to go up to Chuck and at least shake his hand. So when he said that the other day, it really resonated with me because that guy's really been a servant. And for him to say how tough this has been, uh, it really resonated with me. You know, before we get into the scripture, I just want to share a couple other thoughts. And because uh, I think that when you're looking at a text, I think sometimes it helps to, all, to have a preview, to kind of think, what is it I'm going to be looking for? And so for me, as I dissected this section, verses one through eight, and we're going to get into it in just a second. Uh, the one thing I, I noted there was the main theme is truth. You're going to find truth that's repeated five times during that section. The other theme you're going to find is hospitality. Now, and that is a big theme in this uh, section. And uh, this, to give you a little context on hospitality, in those days... Uh, People that travel, let's say believers, or we would call them maybe like traveling evangelists, as they traveled, they really didn't want to stay in inns. Those were a little dangerous. They really preferred to stay in homes. Now, Linda and I, you know, we uh, tried something courageous. We, we started an Airbnb in Xenia, and it's been amazing to me. We have had people from 17 states now and two countries. And I think it goes back to show people really like to stay in homes. So I think that I just wanted to share that with you because that gives a little bit of context as we get into this study. The other thing I want to point out was that home was central to the life of the early church. Now, people worshiped in the temple, but they also worshiped in the home. So just like we here at uh, New Community Church, we have house church model. Those are really important. We're doing both. We're here at the gathering. We're in house churches. And I think that's really important. And I want to show you something that, you know how when you're in Scripture, 
even though it's common to you, you all of a sudden find something new, and that's just that the Holy Spirit sharing new things with me. Well, if you look at uh, chapter 2 of Acts, you don't have to go there. I'll, I'll kind of summarize it for you. But if you go to chapter 2 of Acts, it gives us a good description of the early church. And if you look at verse uh, 42, it talks about what they were doing. It says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. So there's teaching. Uh, and to fellowship, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So those were the four things they were doing. But here's the interesting thing for me. If I go down to 46 and 47... I learned real quick that they were worshiping in the temple and worshiping in the homes. But here's the verse, the last half of 46, I want to point out. They were, now it said they were breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. So they were really happy about being together. They were really grateful about, they had this spirit, I like to use the word positivity. I don't know if it's a word. But they were very positive when they gathered in the house churches. They were grateful. Now, it's interesting for me then in verse 47, it says that God added people. They became saved. So he was adding numbers every day. Now, we know that God is the one who decides who gets saved. He, 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 he is in charge of salvation. But, there, but I think it's interesting that 46 precedes 47. And it talks about us having the spirit of gladness. Now, I just think it's important because he put it there. So I think that's one of the things as we look at these verses, I think we want to also think about our house churches, our gathering, every time we're together, having that spirit of gladness. Well, let's take a look at uh, Third John. And I'm going to read that once through. Then I want to actually dissect each verse. Let me read this to us. It says in verse 1, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth, that is, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers. And they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. Now, if you look immediately at verse 1, you see... The elder, now that's referencing John. He's highly regarded, highly respected. He's older, but he's also in oversight. So there you immediately see John calling Gaius beloved. And then you see him say, Whom I love in truth. Can't you imagine somebody saying that about any of us that they love us in truth because truth is so important? And John saw this in Gaius's love, in Gaius's life. And John really dearly loved him as we see that. If you look at verse 2, the first thing he says, he addresses Gaius as beloved. I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Now let me give you a little context there. Okay, Gaius, remember I, I talked about in those days people preferred to stay in the homes. 
So Gaius was hosting a lot of people in his home. He was hosting believers. He was hosting people he didn't know, unbelievers. But he was hosting them. So John knew he had quite the ministry, and he knew he was extremely busy. So he was praying for his physical health, but he was also praying for his spiritual health. And I love that part because, you know, if you're like me, the challenge in my life is that my inner life will match my public life. And so that's what I'm always praying about. And uh, so I think that even when we're praying for one another, I think we not only need to pray for your physical health, but we need to pray for people's spiritual health, that they'll be drawn closer to Christ, that they'll be developing and maturing in Christ. And um, then if you go on, it says, For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth, that is, how you are walking in truth. What an amazing thing. Here were believers going to Ephesus, going to John, and testifying about Gaius. And they were saying, this guy walks in truth. And that walking in truth is the first time we see that phrase. We'll see it in the next verse. But that walking in truth is really important. And here's why. You know, it's one thing. Let me grab a snag here. It is one thing that we know truth. We all know we should know truth. We should meditate on the truth. We should study truth. We should memorize truth. We should believe truth. But it's another thing to live it out. And that's the key is, are we going to be obedient to Scripture and live it out? So I think that's what Gaius is. He's the great example of somebody who knows truth, but he also lives it out. And then in verse 4, it says, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children. Here's that word children, a family term, walking in the truth. He repeats that word, walking in the truth. He's obviously very happy about what Gaius' Gaius's ministry and the fact that he's walking in truth. Then if you go down to verse 5, the very first word again, he addresses him, beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, for the believers, and especially when they're strangers. And I want to pause there because I think it's so important. Sometimes it's easy. We can minister to believers and people we know. But you know what? We've got to be ministering and, and, uh, to people we don't know. So I, some of you are really good at that, and I love watching you. And I've got to get improve on that is getting to know people that, you know, at, at introducing Christ to people I don't know. And, but I think that... That's what Gaius was good at. He was really good also at ministering to people that were strangers. And then at verse 6 it says, And they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. So again, they're testifying about his love in the church. And also, one of the things too was they noted about Gaius was that because he was so selfless, because he was so servant-oriented, because he cared about the people that stayed with him and wanted to serve them in any way he could, you know, he was then able to send them on in a manner worthy of God. Verse 7, it says, For they went out for the sake of the name, that's for Jesus Christ, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Now, sometimes uh, believers stayed in homes of non-believers. So one of the things those believers wanted to be careful about was never to take any payment. They always wanted to make sure they were above reproach and to make sure that they were honoring Christ. So that's what that verse is about. Then in verse 8 it says, Therefore we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. Now in that verse what we're really talking about there is partnering. So if you're 
let's say you're having somebody over in your home, or you're hosting somebody, or you have a house church in your home, you're really partnering with all the people who come. So partnering is really important. So when you're serving someone or helping someone else, you're really partnering in their ministry. Well, in that section, just as a reminder, we saw truth as the main theme. We saw hospitality as a secondary theme. The other thing we saw was a lot of use of family terms. So the other thing this section is known for is family. Now, I, I, I put together some principles for you. And it's because I just love putting principles together. I will study the word, and then I put a list of principles together. And I think the reason I do it is I'm not as good as living it out. So I want to make sure I'm kind of verbalizing and thinking to myself, here's the actions I need to take. And so I put some of those together for you. I'll go through those quickly because, you know, they're commonplace. You, you'll, they're basic. But do acts of kindness. I think that is extremely important that we find ways to do acts of kindness for those around us. Be selfless and humbly serve others. Walk in truth. As we saw in the text, really important. Be hospitable and welcoming. You know, I think here, I think we do a good job of greeting people, our hospitality team. You know, John Golke and Chris are out there greeting uh, people who drive up, and I love that. But I think it rests on all of us to be a part of creating hospitality in a welcoming environment. So I think, you know, we've got to go out of our way to create that hospitable environment. I think another thing is pursue friendships. And I think that's harder for some people than others. So if, if God's gifted you in that, then I think it'll probably help somebody else if you pursue a friendship. I think it'll help them a lot. The other thing I thought about a lot is, number seven, disciple young families and children. You know, one of the things I've thought a lot about is that today is, and it's probably because I'm an educator, it's probably because I'm with a lot of parents at our Christian school, is that parenting today is not easy. And so I think that it behooves all of us to come alongside young families. You know, and I think our family ministry does a great job, but I think we all have to be a part of coming alongside. Me as a grandparent now, and I love those special relationships that grandparents can have, but I think it means, okay, hey, we, we come in and help when you need help, or it means that we read to the kids. Or, so I think even some of us who are older, I think we can even come alongside and help more. Another thing I've been noticing a lot, and it really prompted me when the elder team got to go to, to this conference back in discipleship, discipleship.org that we attended in Nashville, it really came to light for me. I hadn't thought that much about this, like, but, um, you know, because, again, I see and watch a lot of parents. I see a lot of people, parents, that just go overboard on sports. Now, I love sports, believe me. I love tennis when I can play. And I love uh, golf and other things, basketball. I love to shoot hoops. But, um, but you know, sports isn't everything. And one of the things I, I get concerned about today is that a lot of parents are outsourcing. I love to use that term, outsourcing discipleship to coaches they may not even know. And they may not be believers, they may not know them. So I think that's another thing. I just think we gotta be careful about that we don't let that take over. I think it really, the discipleship belongs with us. You know, where we're helping and caring and discipling and coming alongside parents and helping with discipleship. The other thing I think we should always be cognizant of and thinking about is adding new family members. And adding family members to our house churches, 
Uh, I just love recruiting. In fact, I can remember when I first started the house church, um, and I was working at Cedarville University, and I remember this one student that she said, if you ever start a house church, I'll be there. So I called her up, and I said, Brittany, would you be the first recruiter for us? Well, we had that first night 15 students from Cedarville University that came. But, you know, some people are gifted that way, and I enjoy that myself. So, uh, but I think we need to be looking for ways to add people to new community, add people to our house church, again, to bring them to Christ. Uh, my takeaways for us today is, uh, they're short, but just a few things. My takeaway would be that, you know, again, uh, we need to broaden our thinking to think about us as a family. And, you know, family, making fa family of God important in our lives really means valuing relationships, appreciating togetherness, and being deliberate to seek opportunities for fellowship. You know, one of the things we learned from Gaius, this guy had purpose. He had purpose. You know, I think that's what we all want in our lives. We want purpose. But he had purpose. He knew what his ministry was, and it was very obvious to all the believers and to John that he knew his ministry. So I think one of the things for us is, you know, we all need to know what our gifts and abilities, our talents are, and then we put those to work for Christ. So I think that we can learn a lot from Gaius about trying to determine what our gifts are and then trying to figure out how can we serve as a part of this body. Uh, the other thing that I thought about was that, again, I've already talked about this, but again, we've got to all take ownership for showing hospitality. I think another thing is, again, I mentioned this already, but trying to find ways. I think it's just a, it's a tough time for parenting, and I think we've got to encourage parents. And I think my final thought, and this is kind of the way I will close, I was really reflecting a lot about 2 Corinthians 2.14. And in 2 Corinthians 2.14, I kind of substituted the word New Community Church in there, and I said, New Community Church will be a sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. So I think the challenge for myself and for all of us is to live like Gaius, which means you walk in truth, you are hospitable, welcoming, and you selflessly serve others. And why? To make family life a sweet aroma to those around us. I am going to close us in prayer and uh, as our worship team comes. And again, I just, uh, I just think I'm so grateful that we got to talk about family this morning because I think we are a family of God and family is so important. So let me pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you for what you're doing in our midst I thank you for just the way you have uh, the history of our church coming from Apex, uh, coming from the 2nd Street there at the Nazarene Church, getting here, and Lord, even how you were able to completely pay this off in a year, which is just amazing. So God, we know you're doing something special here. And so Lord, I just pray that this whole concept of family will permeate what we do. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all you're doing. Lord, I even think of all the baptisms that have occurred in this last year, and we give you thanks. Thanks for that. 
Lord, and I thank you for our staff. I thank you for our worship team. I thank you for all the volunteers and everything they're doing for Christ. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.